on this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. Uh, I've had one that came right up within four feet of me and she was frothing at the mouth. Oh my God. <laughs> Give me the baby, right? <laughs> This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith. All right. So uh, today I'm chatting with Carol. And Carol Kelly is the director of the Medicine River Wildlife Center in central Alberta. And Medicine River Wildlife Center is a phenomenal organization that does so much good work in our province with rehabilitating and releasing animals and educating the public about how to live with wildlife. And one of the, one of the big... Uh, endeavors that I I really appreciate that Medicine River Wildlife Center does is setting up fostering and adopting out animals into the wild. And uh, I think, uh, Carol, would it be wrong of me to say that you and Judy are essentially almost pioneers in some of the techniques that you guys use, particularly for fawn adoptions? Yeah, actually, we we are the pioneers of fawn adoption and and some uh, some of the other species also. Mm-hmm. The only ones that I was aware of when I first started this is I knew that the um, biologists with Alberta Environment uh, were fostering uh, birds of prey. Oh, okay, yeah. and so I and that's what gave that's what made me aware that fostering was even a viable thing to do was because I knew they were doing it with birds of prey. Yeah, and it's just fascinating to me because it's something that now um, I've I've always thought of like, okay, that's a standard uh, accepted practice, but it wasn't always that way, was it? Oh, absolutely not. When I first started, people said, oh, it won't work, and it won't work. It won't work in this species. It won't work in house wrens, I was told. It won't work in fox. It won't work in coyote. It won't work in deer. So I I just went back to people and said, well, who has tried it? Mm-hmm. And I got the response of nobody had tried it. They were just making the assumption based on the fact that they, a coyote was a territorial animal, that it wouldn't allow something new into its territory. But we have since learned that that drive to keep the species alive is very strong. And when there is an orphan, um, there has not been a species yet uh, that won't take on an orphan with the exception of colony nesters. Colony nesters are those like pelicans and gulls Mm -hmm. that nest in really big colonies and they are programmed to care only for their chick. Uh, That makes sense from a biology standpoint though, doesn't it? Totally. So if you put another one in, their programming does not allow them to care for another chick. So other than those colony nesters, we have not found anything that rejects an orphan. The very first time I ever um, thought about it with birds is I was came down early to in the morning. I know the staff hadn't arrived. I opened up the songbird room door. It was beautiful sun coming, breeze coming in, and I all the babies in the different cages were chirping. And there was one at the very end who was the oldest. He was a fledging robin, and so I was leaving him to the end. And mm-hmm. I got partway through all the cages of feeding the babies, and I looked in there, and the doorway was an adult robin with a worm in her mouth and I thought do you want my baby so I just slipped it out of its cage and set it on the floor and the adult flew over stuffed the worm down its mouth and the two of them flew out the door together 
And at that moment, I thought to myself, why are we doing all this work? Wow. There are parents out there that want them. And you're like, you can have them. <laughs> yes. This is too I much work. A, I am not a glutton for punishment. I mean, if you want to take the work <laughs> off of me, I am more than happy to do that. And that's what it's done. And it's taken the workload down. Uh, it, so it, the workload for our st- students and staff are uh, down. It uses our donor dollars, I think, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And it gives us that time to spend with those truly injured animals. Yeah, well, I don't know if people realize how much effort truly goes into trying to raise an orphan, whether it's deer oh. or birds. Yep. I mean, uh, when a, just as a frame of reference, some songbirds, when they're, when they're first hatched have to be fed every what 20 30 minutes 20 minutes yeah, yeah every 20 30 minutes yeah yeah so and 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 I know, I, no matter how good we we I, I still don't think we can ever a hundred percent make our diet for them that we feed them as good as the parents in the wild can get for them that's also an excellent point that we're not yeah. giving them the the variety that they would normally mm-hmm. be getting and when yeah. you think about it I mean the at that point in time, the parents, that is their number one priority other than surviving themselves. Um, yep. And their entire day is devoted to it. If you ever get it, uh, I encourage that if somebody has a nesting, say nesting robins in their yard or something, mm-hmm. just take the time and watch and see how many times in a, like even a 20 minute time frame that yep. there is an adult bird coming and going from that nest. I swear it's every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm told I'm told that the adult robin goes back to the nest an average of 100 times a day. Like, that's crazy. And, and you know, yeah. if you have to do that in a wildlife ward <laughs> and you've got more than one nest you're managing, it becomes Im- almost impossible, honestly. So, I mean, fostering opens it up to that you can also help more animals too, right? Because now you have the, the time and the space to take in uh, more intakes yeah. and, and get things really flowing through nicely. Yes, it does. And I mean, we've got to one staff member and that's in the, in the, in the peak months. So that's pretty much her job is to find nests and sites. Uh, she has over 600 nests right now that are GPS. So oh, she wow. knows going into the, going into every year, she knows where all, all these nests are and she checks those out. We put it out to social media and mm-hmm. say, if you have something in your yard or you're on your property, please let us know. Um, so we in, try to encourage people to get involved in the whole project. And uh, the faster we can move them in and out of the building, the, the happier those animals are and the happier we are. Yeah. So how did you, how did you figure out the prime candidate for, say, a fawn and a doe? Like, how did you figure out the criteria for the prime doe candidate to adopt an orphan? We, it took some time. It took some time. It was it was an accident to begin with. <laughs> I had a, a volunteer who contacted me and said, hey, I've just I've got three does living around my property, and one of them has just been killed on the road, and she's got an orphan fawn that's wandering in the yard calling. And she says, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's not jump into it right away. Let's give it a couple hours and see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. And an hour later, she called me and she said, you're not going to believe it. But my one doe has just come in across the field and she's standing in my backyard nursing this fawn. And I said, maybe we could do something with this. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and then from there, we had a deer researcher who said, um, we, we, I, I'd like to give you the distress calls. And because we had, when we had a fawn, 
we couldn't always just accidentally find a doe. So we <laughs> needed to we needed to attract a doe that would be interested. And the way to do it, we found, is through a distress call of a fawn. So we let the does make the decision as to whether they want our fawn by playing these distress calls. Um, they come in and there are two different kinds of behavior. There is a, one who is curious, concerned, but not willing to take the baby. Mm-hmm. And then there's that doe who um, exhibits a behavior that is obvious she wants that baby. What does it look like when they actually want a doe? Like, what does it look like? Can you describe yeah. it? <laughs> she, they, they come roaring in through the field or in through the trees and they race back and forth and back and forth. They will not leave. Um, they, I've had them come up and stamp their feet at me uh, <laughs> and, and they blow through their nose like a horse does. They make that noise blowing through their nose. They, uh, I've had one that came right up within four feet of me and she was frothing at the mouth. Oh my God. <laughs> Give me the baby, right? <laughs> and she sees us as a predator. So we developed a, 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 a routine. We go into a site, we turn our car ready to leave. We play the call. Mm-hmm. If we get a fawn or a doe that comes in with the correct behavior, we drop the fawn, we get in the car, and we drive away. And then we give it about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. We're down the road out of sight. And then we go back. And if the fawn would, was still there, we would know it was not success. Yeah, because the, the fawn won't just run off, will it? No. A fawn will never leave a site at that age. Um, unless they're led by a doe. That's just what nature has provided. I'm not going anywhere without mom. Mm-hmm. And so if if they didn't have a doe that took them, they just lie down and wait for a doe to come and get them. In one case where we were actually able to observe, we watched a doe that had triplets and she came and took a fourth. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it just depends on her. And yet I have played the call. When I see a doe with a fawn standing out in the field, I played the call and they turn and they run away. Interesting. She goes, no, no thanks. One's enough for me. It sounds like there's still some research that could be done to figure out some of those oh, yeah. nuances just to see like like why yeah. some will accept and some won't. Um, it's interesting. I wonder what the difference would be. It could be the age. Mm-hmm. You've got a really well, uh, an older doe that's well experienced and she, and she says, oh, I can take another one, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you've got maybe a first time doe yeah. who is like, oh, I don't know what, I barely know what I'm doing with the first one, right? So, <laughs> So, <laughs> no doubt, so, yeah. no doubt. Oh, that's funny. And you know, I think uh, I think they do a much better job raising them than humans ever could. Even though I'm sure you've come across that mentality where some people think that, but I can raise it really well. Here's my biggest problem with it: you could might be able to raise it, but how are you going to teach it to elude a predator? And they are a prey species. Mm-hmm. They get take. They're the prime spe- uh, 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 food for cougars. Mm-hmm. So yep. you, they, they need to know how to be aware when a cougar is in the area, how to elude that cougar or bear. Um, they need to know a lot of stuff about how to survive out there. Um, I know of two research studies in the States where they followed deer fawns that had been raised in captivity for a year mm-hmm. and then let go. And all of them were dead within a month. Oh, wow. It, 
with the exception of two that became nuisance beer because they were too friendly to people. Wow. So um, that speaks volumes to me. It just really causes a lot more harm than good, even though I feel like yeah. many people come into it with good intentions. Um, yes. it, just, it just makes yes. so many problems. And it's just, it's not, it's just not something that anybody can or should do. I mean, I think it's, I th- honestly, I think it's unethical for people to yeah. keep random wild animals and try to raise them and keep them as their own. Um, Absolutely. But, I mean, I think we're still going to see that happening time and again just because, you know, there's this novelty, you know, I think, yeah. that people are like, wow, this is so cool. I have, like, a duck in my bathtub. And yeah. then they realize, like, oh, now it's a duck in my bathtub. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what are you supposed geese to do are, with this now? <laughs> geese are amongst the worst because a, a geese, uh, you pick up a gosling and it – uh, it is. It just immediately looks to the biggest thing next to it, and that must be my mother. Oh so my immediately goodness. they imprint on people, mm-hmm. and then they get to be really big and poopy, um, <laughs> and, and people don't want them around so much anymore. Right? No longer because cute and fluffy and small. <laughs> no, they're, they're, but the problem is that they are solidly imprinted to people, and that doesn't change. You can't. What well, if you've kept them by, with you and people their whole growing up? They do never. They they. The only way we've been able to turn them around and know that they're geese again mm-hmm. is by keeping them in um, a, an isolated area, a pond that we have um, with other geese, and giving them like tough love. And mm-hmm. you know, you become a goose, or or you're not going to survive. And if they're young enough, if they're six months or younger. We've been able to, maybe as much as a year, been able to give them some some time and and turn them around. But generally speaking, they don't. So you've actually, you might have thought he was all cute and yellow and fuzzy and he followed you around. It made you feel good, but you messed him up really badly, I'm afraid. Yes, yeah. So I think just uh, continuing to reiterate the message that they're best in the hands of a wildlife rehabilitator. Actually, that's second best. First best is back in the wild with their mom. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we work re- that's what we work really hard at doing whether it's a, a bluebird or it's a, a, a red-tailed hawk or a fawn or whatever we have we want to get them back with real parents. Yeah, definitely. And it, do you find is it harder to foster out um, babies that were injured because if you do have one that has an injury mm. that it'll recover from, it'll just take some time yep. and treatment. Um, yep. do you have a harder time trying to foster them out? We um, we have uh, we have that, um, but what we try really hard to do is while we do have them in captivity, is they never see a human face. Okay. So there might be a, it might be an arm go in and feed them or do stuff, but we try to keep the faces. Um, it, it, in the case of fawns, we even when we're feeding them and, and getting them, making sure they're healthy before we foster them, um, our staff are not allowed to talk to them. And they have to wear a mask that looks like a deer. I know it's a little creepy looking <laughs> sometimes, but I've seen works. those masks. They are a little bit weird, <laughs> but it works because uh, with the deer and the moose, actually, we do that. And uh, I w- I tested every now and then. I'll go over and make sure the students are doing what they're supposed to, and I'll step in. And I stepped in last year with our moose calves without my mask on and the oldest moose calf flattened her ears and started 
uh, coming at me with her front paws. Oh, perfect. Um, she's trying so to kill you. That's, that's what she's supposed to do. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I wanted. I wanted her to hate me, right? I think, <laughs> and, I think uh, wildlife rehabilitators and wildlife vets are some of the <laughs> oddest people because we're the happiest oh. when our patient's trying to murder us. Exactly. <laughs> it means exactly. they're feeling better and <laughs> they're doing what they're supposed to. <laughs> If that's right, if they hate us, that's a good yeah, thing. We, a don't, good we don't want them to like us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. As long as they hate us, we're doing a good job. That's oh, right. my goodness. Uh, which uh, which species do you find is the most difficult to foster out? Uh, probably uh, moose or squirrels. Squirrels, and really? Not, be- not because they won't, fo- they won't accept them. Is I can't for the life of me find where the squirrel is nesting. Oh, they're so good. They're so good at hiding. I've got a squirrel that lives in my yard and I feed her on my balcony. And every year she has babies and I still haven't got a clue where her nest is. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, but, 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 but she'll bring her babies when she first takes them out of the nest, she brings them to the, to the feeder. And when I see her with the one or two babies at the feeder, I always run down to the center and give her a couple of extras. Get a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and moose God. are the same. Um, moose, um, deer take up, when they're going to fawn, they take up a fairly small territory and they stay within that little territory. So they're easier to find. But a moose takes those kids and they go wandering for miles. Oh, wow. So it's really hard to find them. And the other thing we found is the moose don't respond to the distress call. Interesting. How do you draw them in then? Uh, we don't. We uh, we have in the past just waited till we see a mama moose on, on our trail camera hanging around our moose cage. And then we just open the door and let baby go out with her. Okay. And does that seem to work relatively well? Yeah, it does. And but generally speaking, of late we've been getting three to five um, moose calves a year, and I just cannot find. I mean, it's hard enough to find one, let alone five. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've raised them in a, a group, uh, in a in an enclosure where they've got trees and nice habitat. Our property has a very high moose population in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when that the moose start to gather here, we've I counted 15 of them here two days ago. Oh, wow. So when there, there's a lot of moose hanging around here in September, October, November, we, in the beginning of September, we just open the door and allow our babies to do a, what we call a soft release. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they can come and go out of the enclosure if they choose. And within a couple of days, we usually see them hanging out with the moose here. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, that's good that the soft release actually works for them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of soft releases. Um, yeah. I like them in a lot of different situations. I think it's nice because, yeah. you know, if it's if it's going poorly, at least it uh, it doesn't result in the death of the animal and you can always try again uh, later or in a different situation. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, soft yeah, releases no, it are works, nice. It works really well. for It works for lots of things. You can do it in, from birds to, uh, to, to the moose. All right. So the opposite of that question, which animal is the easiest to foster out? Oh, goslings and fox kits. Really? Fox kits? Uh, oh, piece of cake. Um, all, we, we have a lot of landowners that re- live on, uh, you know, farms away from other people, mm-hmm. and they absolutely love their fox. Contrary to some popular belief, fox are quite beneficial. And as long as you have your... Uh, chickens or your ducks, your domestic animals, 
in a proper pen. Fox are wonderful at keeping down your mouse population mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So we have those landowners who call us every year and say, yep, my fox are back. Uh, they've got babies under an old building in the back sh- um, in the quarter at the back or the, under my shed here in the yard. Mm-hmm. And you're more than welcome to add another baby. <laughs> and so we just simply, we, we in the beginning, we did a little testing. We put color marks on the babies mm-hmm. and then go and then observe to see that they were successful. But we've, we've long since passed that. We just know that that's successful. Fox are very, very accepting. And we just pop a baby down the hole and walk away. It's really quite easy. <laughs> it's pretty simple. <laughs> it's very simple. Oh my goodness. What well, sounds yeah. like is kind of almost at, no, I don't want to say the heart of it, but like a key component of your fostering program is relying on landowners and sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if you had somebody who say um, was interested in helping out this kind of way, uh, what kinds of things are they? Do you think they should be looking for? Like, um, should they just keep an eye out for any wildlife on their property? And how do they get a hold of you to tell you that they're there? Uh, they can uh, just uh, email us. They can phone us. Uh, and all, if they find anything on their property that they know has a baby, that's all we need. Not not so much just wildlife. We need mm-hmm. to know that they've got. If they see a doe walking with a fawn in in their the forest in their back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their acreage. Um, if they've got a bluebird who's got on eggs in a box, they're going to rob it under their porch on a nest. Anything that has a baby, we just want to know about it. And they can actually, the, the best way to do it is they can go onto our website. There's a form there they can fill out. Okay. And it's automatic, automatically emailed to me. Oh, that's perfect. Because, yeah, because, I mean, it's probably not as helpful if they're like, I saw an adult fox run across my field. Probably not as helpful as seeing actual fox kits running around. (laughs) (laughs) They can say, hey, I've got a fox. She's got babies. I've seen the babies just started coming out last week, uh, and they're underneath a shed in the back. Uh, You can come and put another one here. And because I may not have a fox kit that morning, but I might buy that evening. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it's such a wonderful opportunity for people. I mean, the feedback you get on that must just be fantastic. Oh, yeah. I've got, I had one landowner who skipped going uh, on her summer holiday, stayed stayed home and took a million photographs of, of, of the fox in her yard with the, with the orphan and the rest of the family oh and made goodness. it into made it into a christmas card <laughs> i mean she she was out of uh, you know she just had such a good time that year oh that's so amazing are, 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 yeah if you get involved in this there is nothing i have i have brought people out and to witness fawn fostering and i've brought people to tears watching that it, it is a very very emotional uh heartwarming thing to yeah see. i mean uh, i got to chance to foster out those uh those robins in my mm-hmm. yard and you know yeah. and coming from me so like i know wildlife i've taken care of baby birds i've done the whole nine yards whatever i still was so proud when i saw those little robins yeah. fledge <laughs> That's right. I'm so That's happy. Right. You're vested in it. You now, are, right? yeah. You're part of it. I yeah. know. And you're just like and watching them every day. I'm like, are they coming out today? What's going on? <laughs> and, and and I think, and that just, I think every time somebody takes a part in something like that, that, that connects them even further and, and better to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I just think it just makes everybody, I don't know, just makes everybody connected. 
I think so too. I think it's fantastic that you do that, and that uh, and that it's so successful, and that uh, you teach yeah. other wildlife centers about uh, some of the tips and tricks you've learned over the years um, through a uh, trial and error and other scientific methods. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we've had lots of calls um, from people who have said uh, that they um, were um, thrilled um, at their at their rehab center that they just had an experience. And uh, one center contacted me and said, because we just had a, a raccoon come in that was lactating, but all her babies were dead. And a couple days previous to that, we'd had a bunch of babies come in and their mother was dead. And she goes, if I had not have heard about your fostering, I would never have considered to put them together. But she says, we put the adult that was lactating in with the babies and she instantly took all those orphans. Oh, wow. And then look at all the all the lives that are saved just from simple knowledge yeah. that it, it's possible. Just it's yeah. worth it to try. Give it a try. Yeah, that, and we're more than happy to help walk you through it. We've done that with, well, I've, I've walked people in numerous states and, and provinces with they'll call me when they're out in the field and go, what do we do now? <laughs> the people that want to raise wildlife on their own, I wonder if they would if this would be a really good way to kind of get them out of that mentality, just to be like, cause this is way more satisfying, like just so much more satisfying. Way more satisfying. Yeah. Cause That's then you right. see and them, the, they're where they, they belong with yeah. their wild parents and they get to go on and have a normal, happy life. Well, as happy yes. as it's going to be for them. So. As happy as anything will happen in, the, in yeah. nature. That's right. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and if you really, really, you know, if you want to raise something in captivity, you know, get yourself a kid. Get a dog. Like, you know, yeah. Get something else because Really wild. You're really doing damage to wildlife. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carol. I think that was great. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And while you're at it, why not tell your friends about us? Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media and for more information on the Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet television series. The Wild Rose Vet podcast is hosted by Dr. Savannah Howe-Smith, produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Conigotier, and Valerie Oud-Marchand. Recorded by Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios, with original music by Wayne LaVallee.